The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James, and as ever, this podcast is brought to you by The Athletic UK. And on today's podcast, we're going to look back at Wednesday night's 0-0 draw against Brighton, our second stalemate with the Seagulls in just over a month, and a game that really raised more questions than it answered. We were hoping that this might be the game finally against a side around us in our neck of the woods as the table is concerned that maybe we'll take some of those good performances against the bigger sides and turn it into a dominant result against a fellow relegation rival. But it couldn't have been further from the truth. Fulham were lucky to come away with a point, but could have won it late on a real smash and grab if Ruben Loftus-Cheek's effort had not been cleared off the line by Lewis Dunk. Uh, Here today to look back at that match, look at what might happen for Fulham with four days of the January transfer window left and look ahead to Saturday's game against West Brom at the Hawthorns is Jack Collins. Hello listeners. And chief writer, chief Fulham writer for The Athletic, I've done it again, Peter Rutzler. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers Sammy, how you doing? I'm fine, thank you. I so want to put you on that chief writer pedestal one day, one day. Gents, it wasn't a pretty one last night by any means. Obviously, Peter, you were there, so we'll get your perspective from the Amex in a second. But Jack, what were the best three word reviews that, that came in? I uh, want to start with Jack and Loz's very quick, very clever halfway point, uh, which, uh, which I enjoyed. But Jacob Kruper said striker or relegation AF with no slam dunk. Um, the, but absolutely the most liked of them are on Twitter. King Cabano with I am expecting better, uh, which I thought was was quite <laughs> clever. Um, and then there were there were two that I think stood out for me. Swinsorian with Scott Bus Parker um, and Mimi Newsom with risk free relegation, which I kind of want to get onto later. But I thought it was a you know a fair assessment of where we are. Oh God, not the risk-free stuff again. <laughs> just oh, it's in, a very, it's in a very different way yet. A very different way. Um, I, I, just had de- I just had deja vu to two years ago with the whole risk-free thing. Right, let's get on to the game then. Um, Peter, as I mentioned, you were at the Amex and uh, you had to endure a pretty brutal drive back up the M23 last night. It was raining, it was foggy, it was windy, it was miserable. And you won't have been uh, that cheered up by what you saw on the pitch either. <laughs> No, nothing, not too much to be uplifted by Sammy. Um, yeah, I think you summed up quite neatly at the start, actually, that it posed a lot more questions than, than it answered. Um, you know, we, we've talked about the way the team have been set up in, in recent weeks to face teams that are better than opposite or bigger teams, better teams, uh, supposedly, and how effective it's been. It's kept Fulham in games. And, and, and last night, it didn't actually feel like Fulham were in the game as much as those matches at times. Um there was a. Uh, I, I thought they were quite careless on the ball at times. It, it, the passing wasn't sharp. It wasn't crisp. It was a bit like the lull after actually in the last game in in December, um, but probably were like, heightened a little bit. Um, Fulham really struggled to move the ball forward, and they they were unable to get near really the penalty area until very late in the game when Ruben Loftus Cheek had that fantastic chance at the end and was denied by Lewis Dunk. Um, but yeah, it's. It, it definitely raises the question about the way Fulham is set up and how effective it is against teams in and around them. 
uh, as well as where the the goals are coming from. Um, four goals from the last eight games isn't good enough, really. Um, admittedly, the teams they played in that run have, have been very difficult. They've defensively been very, very good. But then you factor in that Brighton are in there, Southampton are in there, and Newcastle are in there, and only one goal from those. And it's it's it is a concern. And and yeah, and in terms of the performance last night, there just there was no real focal point. There was no sort of clinical edge I, f- I felt watching it it was a little disjointed I was really surprised to see Bobby Deckard overread on the left uh, Scott Parker when I asked him afterwards said it was because he wanted goals in the team which you know doesn't I, make, I, doesn't I, make any sense which frankly. doesn't yeah no. it, it I, I, I yeah it's does, very difficult to comprehend that I mean I can see why you'd want someone in there who can score goals but he was he's a right footer on the left I just he just kept sitting inside I think he and, and Lookman wanted to operate in similar spaces both Deckard Overeed and Tete were very high up the field, but you know, I think when I think the biggest impact, I know Mitrovic came on and, and did, did quite well, um, but I think Joe Bryan's impact was the biggest because he just gave Fulham some natural width. Um, I mean, they were playing Joel, Wel- uh, Joel Veltman on that side, and maybe Fulham looked at that and gone, okay, we're probably not going to get the overloads on the right hand side that, that Tariq Lamptey would would provide, for example. But um, you know, it just it just didn't work. I think it stifled what Bobby's good at, and it's a position he's not really played before, and. Yeah, it didn't really work, and it was just—it was just the whole thing was a bit disjointed. It was it lacked fluency. It wasn't connected uh, in midfield. It kept looking like they were being overrun, and they kept giving Brighton opportunities. Um, and yeah, as you said, Fulham are really lucky to come away with a point, and uh, a lot of uh, owe a lot to Alf- Alfonso Ariola in goal for some brilliant, brilliant saves. Um, Jack um, Fulhamish obviously put up a, a lineup graphic um, at the start of every match, and look, that lineup graphic has taken on a bit more. Not necessarily importance, but I, I like it because obviously now the club don't put out a tactics. Um, they don't put out how we're lined up on the field anymore in their lineup posts. I understand the reasons for it. They don't want to give the game away to their opposition, blah, 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 blah. We had to look at yesterday's lineup and make a decision as to what we thought the formation was. And we actually looked at the lineup and thought that it was like a 4-3-3 with Einer at left back, Reed Anguissa and Loftus-Cheek in midfield and the kind of Lookman, Cavalera and Decadova-Reed up front. All I'm saying is I, I actually wish that we'd have gone for the lineup or the formation that we chose rather than what Scott Parker chose. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to Peter's point, right? I've got lots to say about lineups and lots to say about formations and and, and, and we'll get there and all of these different elements. But I think you look at that team and you think, uh, and it goes back to what, what Peter was saying there about Bobby Decaudeva-Reed and Scott Parker saying, oh, our, you know, he's our top goal scorer. We wanted to get him on the field. Bobby Decaudeva-Reed spent more time in our own box than he did creating chances at the, end, at the other end. That is not how you get a goal scorer or your top goal scorer into a position where they're going to be effective at, at getting your goals. It doesn't make any sense from, from any sort of perspective. You know, to make that comment after the game, to say that you thought you'd have him at left wing back because he would then get a chance to create and score goals is is kind of mad, especially when you look at the way that Fulham then tactically approached the game. Yes, if he's playing, you know, at wing back on the right, we've seen him bomb four before. Yesterday, he was pinned, absolutely pinned, because Fulham couldn't get control of the ball, couldn't get any sort of, you know, workarounds, apart from the first five minutes where, where Fulham were okay. It, it felt like... Everything we had in terms of possession, which we weirdly shaded, was in our own half and that we were unable to get any sort of foot on the ball further up the pitch. And 
for then Scott to say that the reason he played Bobby Deckard over Reed at left wing back was to create goal scoring opportunities is completely out of sync with the game that we actually watched. And and when you look at it like that, I think it raises huge questions about the ability to shift things around and to make and create chances against the teams around you. And you mentioned Ruben Loftus-Cheek chance there at the end, Sammy, and how that Fulham could have nicked it with a smash and grab. We'll make it clear that Fulham deserved absolutely nothing from yesterday's game. You know, it was a it was a game where if Fulham had won, it would have been daylight robbery. And the fact that Alphonse Ariola has been man of the match more and more and more as we come through the season is one testament to his incredible ability, sure. But two, uh, a kind of reaction that Fulham are spending more and more time defending and and not creating their own chances. When we're not looking at, you know, giving these man of the match awards, at these player of the match awards to players who are creating for us, that probably raises questions about the games where you're looking to actually win. Yeah, I mean, looking at the Fulhamish player ratings last night and Alphonse Ariola has nine. Um, the next highest is Joachim Anderson, who has 7.4. Below that, there's a couple of players with sixes. You've got Cav down there on on 3.9, um, which is maybe a little bit harsh. But once again, Peter, he just doesn't provide anything for us up top. And we, we've said game after game after game, podcast after podcast after podcast. Is Scott going to trust Mitrovic? Mitrovic came on yesterday and, and looked sharp. He looked effective and looked like he could provide us with that option. And, and coupled with Joe Bryan, who again was unlucky, I thought, to miss out because I, I read your piece that you posted this morning, Peter, and I think you were correct. He was one of the better players uh, against Burnley on, on Sunday. Scott just doesn't trust this pairing in the league. And I feel like he's going to have to start trusting them. I feel like... You know, when, when Fulham started first started playing this system, you know, we kind of saw it as a plan B. I think I, I even wrote about it being a plan B and it was a question of does Mitrovic fit into this, you know, when they have to to change this setup. But it, it seems like it's become plan A and also the only plan now. Um, you know, going back to the points about the lineup as well, like, you know, I, I, was, I was exactly the same. I presumed Olerena would play on the left. So if you're going to keep it as, as a five, you, you tuck Kenny Tetter in because he's played at centre-half before. It makes more sense. And Aina can do the wing-back role on the left because he's, he's both-footed, essentially. Um, and then put Bobby on, on the right where he's, he's more effective. But it, it, it was a bit um, uh, square pegs in round holes a, a little bit. Um and then you do you do look up look up top and you're trying to think where what's going to make this more, more effective what's going to you know improve Fulham's attacking flair I think Adam Olerman was a bit quiet yesterday but I don't put that down to his performance I think he still created I think five of Fulham's nine chances so we're not talking about someone who's who's not affecting the game but um, and I also think that's probably down to you know the way Fulham were playing with the ball they were careless in midfield they were overrun at times in midfield because Brighton sat a little bit more narrow with their attacking forwards and it just overran um, Reed and, and, and Anguissa in there and I think Anguissa's in a bit of a rough patch as well I'm not sure he's playing his best ability right now um, and and then you know you, you're not getting Lookman in the game so you're not getting him running at defenders you're not getting him creating the space you've got Bobby Reed then operating in the same spaces and and then you come to, to even Cavalero and you know I I find it difficult to overly criticise him for, for last night because I don't think he's done anything particularly wrong. Um, you know, I think he was he's put in the team to do a specific task and that task is to, to try and give them an outlet. He didn't really do that. Um, but that, I think that was as much to do with the fact that Fulham couldn't get the ball to him frequently enough. 
um, as it is that, you know, he wasn't offering that much going forward. That, not to say that, you know, as we've discussed every week, really, um, he doesn't he doesn't offer enough in a goal scoring threat. You know, Fulham need a goal scorer. Uh, again, you can, we'll talk about Ruben Loftus-Cheek. I think he was okay. But again, I just don't think that position on the right side of attacking midfield suits him. It just, it, he's, not, he's not affecting the game as much. You know, I think there was one incident where he, he pressed really well and nicked the ball off Lewis Dunk and triggered a counter-attack. But apart from that, he's not had the same say. I mean, he had the shot at the end, of course. But, you know, I, I just I feel like he's a player who could be more important in those transitions. You can do a similar role to what Anguissa was trying to do at times and move the ball from A to B. And when, when Fulham don't have that, you know, they're not creating very much at all. Um, so, yeah, and then it, then it comes back to, to Mitrovic. And why isn't he playing? You know, it, 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 Fulham need goals and... You have a goal scorer on the bench who scored 26 times last season. Yes, in the Premier League he hasn't done it yet. I don't. It's not. I don't think you can say he has done it with a regularity. He got double figures last last time Fulham were up, which is which is impressive enough. Uh, when he was at Newcastle, the, the sense was that he wasn't really mobile enough for what Rafa Benitez wanted to do. And it does feel like maybe there's a similar feeling here with with Fulham. And you know, and if that's the case, then, then you know he doesn't look like he'll fit in at all. Um, but he does offer something different. He does something more. And you just think with just 10 minute impacts, he can't, no player really can get the opportunity to, to, to make, you know, a decent case for themselves. Um, of course, we don't see what goes on in training. We don't see any of that side of things. So maybe, maybe there's more to it than that. Um, but, you know, from an out, from an outside perspective, you, you, you're looking for goals and you want someone to do that. And, and then, it, yeah, just to wrap it all back round again, it comes back to the system again. Are Fulham wedded to this now? Is this the only way they're going to play with a five, keeping it tight and hope to nick games? Because you can't keep hoping to nick games if you need to win and make up a gap. And if this gap doesn't close, when you get near the end of the season, then you're starting to, to panic a little bit and try different things. And, you know, the fixtures at the end of the season aren't easy. So this is sort of the time to to plug it. And, and at the moment, Fulham aren't doing that. The problem was a benefit in a way because Scott went to this five at the back against Leicester and it worked an absolute dream, didn't it? We we played that game beautifully. We caught Leicester on the surprise. They didn't know how to deal with it. They weren't prepared for Fulham to play that system and it worked so remarkably well. And as a fan base, I think we all went, right, this is the way, this is, this is the key to survival. We just do this. And, you know, we then drew against Liverpool with the system. We had some really, really good results. And I don't think anyone is saying completely ditch the five at the back. It doesn't work. It does kind of work. But you look at a game yesterday and I felt like one of our biggest problems. Yes. Okay. You could say our biggest problem is the fact we can't score goals. That is one. But we had no midfield control yesterday. And I know that's something you want to come on to because that's the problem with five at the back, isn't it? It's it's solid. It means that you don't concede many, but you do concede the midfield battle. And yesterday, Fulham just couldn't keep control of the goddamn ball we would lose it so much and Brighton came at us with wave after wave after wave and and as you said before should have won the game with the chances they had and it was a mixture of wasteful finishing from from Brighton and fantastic goalkeeping and a few miraculous blocks on the line by a few of our defenders yeah I mean look it, it comes down to this the Fulham have won two games this season right one of them has been won by this five at the back system. The other against a team around us in West Brom was won by controlling the game, you know, taking it to them, imposing an, you know, aggressive, progressive style of football 
on West Brom. And we were excellent that day. Really, really good. I think it's easy to forget. Yes, it was against West Brom. Yes, it was against you know a relegation, a fellow relegation candidate. But those are the games that we're now looking at and thinking, yeah, okay, we've we've done all right against the the teams above us. You know, the five at the back worked brilliantly against Leicester. It worked really well against Liverpool, and we got something away at Spurs. And you know, on top of that, I think it did all right. You know, against United. Although I would have switched. You know, actually, when we switched to four two three one, was the moment where we looked like we were going to get something out of the game against United. And I mean, against Chelsea, you played. 45 minutes with with 10 men which which makes it difficult you have to kind of dig in right but now we look at these games that over the period and and yes over that unbeaten run there was there's always the kind of build up of thinking yeah Fulham are all right here you know we're we're picking up points we're not letting teams get away from us but we've had two games against Brighton now one against Newcastle where I will admit we were unlucky with the red card um and against Southampton who were missing Danny Ings you know, they were missing uh, Oriol Romeo. It was a, an opportunity to go at that Southampton side. And Fulham have scored one goal, which was a weird thing that hit Matt Ritchie in the face and went in, <laughs> right? We've won one game with the the pace on the break system. And, and I think it's a system that you can look at and think, yeah, that works away from home, especially against big teams who we're happy to concede possession to and who are going to have to kind of come at us and, and, and look at that. It didn't work last night. And I think that even if you were going to stick to five at the back, why on earth you wouldn't pull Ruben Loftus-Cheek into that midfield three and try and tighten up the midfield battle? Because we had Tosin, Tosin Adrobayo playing long balls that just kept coming back at us and back at us and back at us. And it was it was almost like 45 minutes of siege mentality. And that's one thing against a Leicester or a Man City or a Liverpool. It's a very different thing against a Brighton side who are one place above us in the table and we're looking to catch up. And I think that it takes me back to, to that, that three-word review from Mimi Newsom who said risk-free relegation. And the last time round, that was based on risk-free signings. This time round, I think it's going to be based on the lack of risk that Fulham create in terms of changing opportunities and, and making opportunities for ourselves. And if we sit five at the back, like Peter says, and try and nick points, we try and you know draw, we try and you know not concede, then we're going to go down by boring our way to 18th in the table. We're going to... that This system has a time and a place. And I'm not by any means and any stretch of the imagination writing it off. I think it's a, a, a wonderful plan. And we've criticized so much at the past, in the past, for t players, managers, whoever, not having a plan B. For, you know, we spoke about Stavisa looking to impose his, try and, his style of football away at Man City and getting battered and thinking, you can't do that. You know, you can't do that. What you can do, however, is try and beat the teams around you rather than not lose to them. And I think that what we're seeing here is Fulham revert to this kind of, oh, if we don't lose, we might not go down because we might get a few lucky results. But I don't really think that that's the way that Fulham are going to achieve anything. And while I like this team, and while I think that there are elements that get added to it by the fact that when Jedi comes back at left wing back, he's going to be important to this when he, you know, and he he gives us a little bit more of an outlet. And like Peter said, we were really lacking width yesterday. I've just got to say that, I can't see Scott changing from the situation, changing from the system. He obviously likes the idea of playing Cavallero up there. And we've heard from numerous sources that Scott's been, you know, looking at getting a striker of Cavallero's malt 
a mold into this side for a long time. This isn't a new thing with the with, with the Mitrovic swap. He's had this kind of idea in his head for for a while, and I think that the fact that we won't revert from this system is completely linked to the fact that Mitrovic isn't getting game times because in a four two three one you can't eradicate the fact that Mitrovic would be the key to it, right? Because you don't necessarily play on the break on a four two three one. You look to control. You look to you know. Im- Im- Pose yourselves upon the game. And if you do that, then you can take the game to people. And that's how we beat West Brom at home. That's how I think we should look to beat West Brom at the weekend. And yet we seem, as Peter said, wedded to this style, which just clearly doesn't work against the teams around us. I, I do think you raise a good point there, Jack, about Anthony Robinson and maybe just how important he is to this, this setup and his overlapping runs, his ability to, to actually get to the byline and just provide that width. Um, I think the issues with you know, with yesterday and the system are actually less to do with up front. I know that sounds a bit controversial and probably will upset a lot of people, but um, yeah, there's a, clearly an issue with taking chances. That's, that's, that's notable. But yesterday in particular, it was definitely a case of how Fulham are building up and creating opportunities as opposed to necessarily, you know, necessarily taking them. Um, and it, it points to me a couple of things. One, there's a role for Tom Kearney in there, which which Fulham are missing. Um, and I wonder how much of a role he may have had in recent games if he was fully fit. And it sounds like he hasn't been fully fit for a, quite a while. Um, you know, I mean, we think back to the West Brom performance and he was he was so good in that. But, you know, he, he's been carrying a knee problem for a while now and that 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 seems a big miss. And then obviously Robinson as well, as, as you mentioned, and just, just being able to provide that width. And I think of, if you drop Mitrovic into this system it doesn't necessarily work and I think no, Jack I agree. Works, right and uh, and I, I, the, 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 the game I think the most sort of reflects that was Newcastle because you know you can make a case that you know Mitrovic could have just been played in uh, against um, Brighton yesterday but it, that doesn't mean he's going to have an impact and I, I just like you know it, uh, the Newcastle game in particular it just didn't work with him it just doesn't work for him I don't think and you know, if, if there is going to be that change, it's got to be away from being so tied to to this defensive setup with a five and 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 trying to just nick games because you know that that's not going to work really. I mean, Jack, is there a and Peter, is there a danger of being a bit over hysterical about this result because? Brighton is a really, really weird one, right? They're actually not on terrible form. Their defeats have come 1-0 narrowly against Man City in a game that they actually probably could have got a point out of. They lost 1-0 to a slightly resurgent Arsenal. They got points... Uh, against Wolves, points against West Ham. Um, You know, they obviously went to to Leeds and are quite a good team. We went there and kept a clean sheet. Like, I know that they're 17th and it's really easy to think, oh, that's a terrible, terrible result. But we all know that Brighton have been underperforming this season. And we were inches away yesterday from coming away from the game with a 1-0 win and we'd all have been absolutely delighted if Ruben Loftus-Cheek hits that ball an inch above Lewis Dunk's foot and it nestles into the back of the net. Whilst I don't think it was the best performance yesterday, we didn't lose. And if we one day start taking a few of these chances or start creating some more chances, maybe getting Mitrovic back in, 
I still don't think we're miles away. I, I, I think there was a bit of hysteria because it was so built up yesterday that we had to win. We had to get three points and we're a point close to Newcastle who are in free fall at the moment. We still have a game in hand. Yes, against a slightly resurgent Burnley side, but it's not far from an unwinnable game. I just want to put some balance out there because yesterday wasn't all bad and we do need to start picking up wins 100% and I'm concerned that we've only got two wins out of our first 19 but I'm also still not like I still don't think we're dead and buried and lots of people on my Twitter yesterday seem to think that we were I don't think we're dead and buried by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, that's not what I'm getting at. I'm saying that we will be dead and buried if we don't start winning games, because at the moment we've won the same amount of games as West Brom and Sheffield United. And, you know, those are the teams that people have been talking about as being poor. No, those are the teams that we were saying they're done. It's between us and the ones above us. And and actually, we've got this, you know, two wins in 19. Like you say, it's 13 points at the halfway point of the season. Who has us on course for 26 points. Uh, which I don't think personally is going to be enough to stay up, but you might disagree. <laughs> well, no, I mean, at the moment, it doesn't get you to 12th place. So I, th- I, think, I, th- I think you have a point there, Sammy, to be fair. I, like, I mean, it's, we, we can look at it and go two two wins from, from 13, but you know, I, I don't think that really reflects the team that is there now because of the slow start, because of the slow pl- the slowness of the players coming in. And you don't, I don't think you'd get a similar sort of return in the next half. And I think that's that's encouraging. Yeah, I, th- I think it's I think it's right there that we're, that we're pointing out things that are you know quite concerning, and these aren't you know new things. It's not a new trend that, that Fulham haven't been scoring goals. It's been going on throughout this sort of run, and the, the fact they're not taking chances. And and last night was more concerning because they didn't actually create enough chances in the first place. They didn't have a foothold in the game, which we've become quite accustomed to. Um, Brighton are a good team. There's no denying that, and they shouldn't be where they are in the table. I think they, but they, they are. They, yes, they are, but they they quite clearly have a. a, a some kind of problem when they get near the 18-yard box. It's far worse than Fulham's because I, I, I genuinely cannot understand how they didn't win the game last night. And that know, seems to be an issue. Is, we can, know, we can. Ours is pretty bad. We, we, we're also not very good near the 18-yard box. And and look, whether that's a question of we need other, other incomings or actually we need to just play the players we have in the system that suits them is a different question. But I, I would say uh, that their problem is no worse than ours. The one, the one thing that that Parker seems to, that always seems to say, and you know, he says it pretty much every week now is, is constantly trying to provide perspective on, on where Fulham are at. You know, he will, he will mention that they were fourth last year in the championship. He will mention that it's a young team. He will mention that at the start of the season, um, as he did yesterday, that in, in games they would concede two or that Fulham would concede two or three and would then have to score two or three to win games, which they can't, which they just couldn't do. Um, and I wonder how much, you know, I, I guess the a lot of what's happened is that expectations have also changed, um, and I think if we if we were still on a basis of, of performances at the start of the season, where Fulham were being turned over so easily, where there wasn't even a sense that Fulham could be competitive in these games, where you go to to Manchester City and get turned over for five like West Brom were and what, four before half time, um, that that you know we'd look at it slightly differently and and that these kind of points wouldn't be so negatively perceived and maybe that that's a good thing that those sort of standards are raised um but yeah I, I, what do you think about that because like I, I for me there's always a sense of okay that's fine but Fulham need to push on if they want to survive and it's all about survival but then at the same time is there still room to say look how how likely was it that Fulham would stay up this season you know and, well, and 
it was never likely. We we said at the beginning of this season, if Fulham finished 17th, it would be one of the greatest survival acts in Premier League history, given the short amount of time that Fulham had to prepare for this season, right? We were dealt one of the hardest hands, and I still maintain this, in Premier League history, given the fact that we had such little time to prepare for this season and we finished fourth in the championship last year and we weren't 100% brilliant in, in, in the Football League last year. We need to be within three points of Newcastle come the last day of the season and still have a better goal difference. Right now, we're we're not far off that. That is the aim. Obviously, I'm slightly worried about a resurgent Sheffield United and a slightly resurgent West Brom, although that does seem to be fading. You know, we need to keep them where we are and that's why Saturday's game is so crucial. We'll come on to that. We need to be within three points of Newcastle. We are miles away from doing that. And if we can go into that last game of the season... Let's hope that there might be 2,000 fans at the cottage by that point. It's the end of May. I don't think it's impossible. And we might go into that game and we're a win away from staying up in the Premier League. That's my hope at the moment. And if we stay on this trajectory, draw more games than we lose, then I think we will get there. We need a win on Saturday. That's undoubted. If we don't win on Saturday, then I'm going to start pressing my panic button. But my panic button is not fully pressed after last night. Was I disappointed with the performance? Yes. Did I? Do I think that Parker needs to adapt and maybe loosen the shackles of this back five a little bit against poorer teams? Yes. Am I pressing the panic button? No. Jack might disagree though. No, I don't. I'm not, dis- I'm not pressing the panic button. I think and what we said about Scott Parker all the time and, and the reason we've given him so much praise is because we've said that he learns from his mistakes, right? We've said that when things go wrong for Scott Parker, he looks at it with an objective mind and says, this isn't working. I need to adapt to, to be able to, to succeed in the future. And I'm asking him to do that again. That's what I want from him. I want Scott Parker to look at that game last night and not think, decent point that I want him to think we got absolutely dominated by a Brighton side who were one place above us in the table and who if anybody could finish their dinner would have would have put a couple past us last night and 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 that's not me being harsh that's me literally looking at it and saying this is what happened right now I agree with you on your Newcastle point in that we need to be within three of Newcastle on the final day to have a chance of survival I, I completely agree as long as Sheffield United haven't gone above us and we're 19th and Newcastle are 18th, right? Because that's also plausible. And so it's not just about keeping the teams above us in our sights. It's about sticking with the pace as well. And in the last, you know, in the last couple of games, Sheffield United have picked up six points. They are now five points behind us. You know, they are not by any stretch of imagination out of this race in terms of survival. I think that I still think that they will be relegated. I'm not suggesting that I think they're odds on to to survive all of a sudden. But I think we're seeing some sort of a response from them that is seeing them pick up points where they weren't before. And and that worries me. And, and, And the fact that that worries me suggests that it might need more than a Newcastle dropping into the malaise for us to stay up. It might need a fifth team in there who at the moment are Brighton. And yesterday I thought we had an opportunity to to try and close that gap, to to reel them in. And we spoke last week, right, after the games that we played against Chelsea and, and Man United. And we said we needed a minimum of four points from these two games, which I still think is obviously achievable. And it, we've, we've kind of got one of them, a win now to take us that level. But we did say that if we wanted to win one of these games, it should be Brighton because we're looking at reeling the teams above us in. And that's important. And it's something we we didn't just fail to do yesterday. We failed to sort of really 
have any attempt to do. We didn't look to win that game, it didn't feel like to me. It looked like we we set up shop. And the fact that Parker played it down in the press conference beforehand, yes, I appreciate that that is taking pressure off players, etc., etc. But the fact that he said this isn't a do or die, did like start start to think, okay, where is the do or die if it's not beating the teams around us? You course, you sort of just said it though there, Jack. Like Sheffield United have picked up two wins in the last three games and suddenly their entire outlook has changed. You know, there's still 19 matches left of the season. And yeah, for sure, these are the important games. You don't want to lose these games, but Fulham didn't lose the game. Um, and you know, you, you pick up those two wins and things change very quickly at this rate because the, the points are attritional. They're not coming in thick and fast. The teams around them aren't necessarily all galvanizing up the, up the table. Burnley will definitely hit a rough patch again at some point. It's just the nature of it. Um, and I... I I just, I just think of the, the performance last night because it, it, like, you know, we we've dissected it, you know, quite clearly where it's gone wrong, what what the decisions were that haven't worked, and I, I just, I wonder if it's, you know, if you could just say as, as as one game, you know, like this. For me, the problems were, yes, there was a tactical element, yeah, there was Bobby Reed on the left, and yes, there was still the forward issues, uh, and we can't overlook those. Those are problems that need to be solved. But at the same time, you take away some of the mistakes Fulham were making at the back, some of the loose loose passes on the ball, turnovers in their own final third, essentially gifting Brighton's best opportunities. And suddenly you're looking at a little bit of a tighter game if Fulham don't do that. And, you know, sometimes maybe there's an element of it just being a poor game. And I just, and then if you look, if you just try and think of it from Parker's perspective, from what I, from what you hear from him week in, week out, is this sense of, I'm just trying to see, because obviously we're looking at him saying, right, let's adapt, adapt and change this. The two things he's going to be weighing up are, one is the defensive side is a case of, right, is this working for us defensively? Is this keeping us in games? Is this giving us an opportunity? Yes, it is. It is. But is it is it going to give us better platform to create more chances and dominate games? Probably not. Probably not. And then he's got the balance of the two. So then do you, go, you, do you flip one side and take the risk of trying to go for the wins? And that, that's the thing. Maybe it comes back to the point you're saying at the start. Do, when, when is the point that Fulham start taking more risks? And I think right now, I think the, the approach isn't necessarily terrible I don't think it's you know I don't think we're at a point where it's you know as we've said it's not alarm bells um there will come a point when that's the case but at the same time you know do you then make those changes those changes that might make the team more vulnerable that might lead them to conceding more goals and then it suddenly flips the other way entirely and then you're looking at a different not just uh table outlook but a different psychological outlook as well because right now, if you're in that Fulham dressing room, you're looking at the game and thinking, we're in every single one, we're close to every single one, the win's not far away. The moment that changes, the moment you get a bigger defeat or a defeat where you are overwhelmed, say like if Brighton took a chances last night, admittedly, that could have been the case. It definitely could have been the case, but it, it, as it turned out, it wasn't. Um, but then, yeah, that's at the point that, that things change. And, and, and trying to find that balance between the two and then offering the perspective of where the team are, then it's... It's not terrible, you know. As Sammy said, it's, it's not far off. Fulham aren't far off at the, this point, but but you know, as we've said, as we said, it can't it can't carry on. I just wanted to come back to your expectations point, Peter, uh, and and I think that we said at the start of the season, if Fulham stayed up, then it would be a miracle. And I think you're absolutely right. But I think we were basing that on the squad that we had at the time, right? I think the fact that expectations have changed have come with the fact that this squad is now upgraded, right, quite heavily across the board. And you look at West Brom's squad and we were having this discussion the other day Sammy that there's not maybe Mateus Pereira you know maybe you take Pereira is there anyone else you're looking at going they'll come in there maybe Carlin Grant to sit up front but you know is that a huge upgrade probably not and and I actually think you look at them and you think we're two points clear of that West Brom side and we are better than them in every department on paper right 
we are better than in every single department on paper. You look at the Newcastle team. Are there too many of that team that you would take, you know, ahead of ahead of our players? I would say maybe three or four. You know, uh, Sam yeah, Maxman, Wilson, Wilson, maybe in goal, but then. Would you Maybe. take Ryan Fra- Would you take Ryan Fraser ahead of uh, ahead of Adamola Lookman? I probably wouldn't. I don't think I'd. The take- only one I was going to say I might take Dean Garner from West Brom as well, but he hasn't exactly set the world alight this season. So we're looking at a couple of players, but the rest of them you're talking the Fulham team. You know, out outshine them on every. We are looking at teams that we think okay, we should be in contention with and yet we're, we're you know yes we are six points by Newcastle with a game in hand and and I appreciate that that game spell at the start of the season where we dropped points because uh the you know the, the availability of players wasn't there to the final week fine like you, you have to accept that especially given the truncated window that Fulham had because of the because of the playoffs and because of the way that the championship season finished up fine Put all that aside for a second. We're talking about teams that we think on paper we're better than. And if we, you know, and that's why expectations have changed. And I think that's fair enough. I think it's fair enough for expectations to have changed because this side is not the same side, as we've spoken in great detail about, that came up from the championship. You know, we have two players who are starting games who are part of that championship squad in Harrison Reed and Bobby Decordover-Reed. Okay, Andy Van Cavallero, but even he was in and out of the side last year. So we're talking about this being a completely new side and therefore expectations shift accordingly, no? But, you know, I, I agree. I absolutely agree in terms of how the, the perceptions change because of the squad. The squad is clearly, there's enough quality in that team to keep to keep Fulham up, I think. So maybe, maybe you could say that they need more in, in, in forward areas, which we discussed. But yeah, I agree. But you also mentioned the point about the, the, the start of the season handicap. That's five, six games. So then you're looking at a five, six game shorter season because of the circumstances. So then you apply that to the table and you look at those games. Who are they? Lee, I don't think Fulham lose 3-0 to Arsenal playing the way they are, especially that Arsenal team. Um, defeat to Leeds, you know, Leeds can blow hot and cold. Villa, probably you would lose to them. They've been excellent this season. And Wolves and Sheffield United, maybe looking at a different outcome there. And maybe then you're, you're making up the points gap. So, you know, I, I, I agree. But I, and then just that sort of perspective a little bit, I think is also, also important. Yeah, it is. And look, it's going to rumble on, but no doubt that the, the fixtures coming up in February are huge. Two games against West Brom and Sheffield United in particular. Uh, the one against Sheffield United at Craven Cottage. I think also what Fulham lack as well. And you look at what Sheffield United did last night. Fulham do just need one of those wins. Maybe Leicester was it for us, but it was less smash and grab against Leicester. It was a bit more deserved what we got against Leicester. We almost do need to just go and play someone and, and win really unexpectedly. And Fulham haven't really had that this season. So... Hopefully, uh, the the luck changes. Um, Scott Parker, obviously under pressure to make a few decisions at the moment. And another man under pressure is Tony Khan in the transfer window with four days left. So we're going to discuss that after the break. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here and I'm joined by Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. And Peter Rutzler. Hello. Right. So four days left of the January transfer window. It shuts at 11 o'clock on Monday, the 1st of February. And look, it's a really, really weird transfer window. The summer was quite weird, but like there were some comings and goings. There have been just four permanent deals so far in the Premier League at the time of recording. And none of those have really been that you know, groundbreaking Robert Snodgrass, Andrew Lonergan and Amad Diallo, uh, three of the four players to make permanent moves to Premier League clubs so far this month. Um, Peter, 
I know that there have been constant questions to Scott Parker as to whether this elusive striker, and it does look like that's the only position that Fulham are really interested in upgrading in, is coming in. And well, right now with four days left of the window, it doesn't look good. But then again, with four days left of the window back in the summer, it also didn't look good. And look what we signed. Yeah, that's that's probably the key point, Sammy. I, I wouldn't rule anything out. Um, because of how the window sort of works. You know, a lot of business does get done at the end and that's because some players become available, some some dominoes then fall and that affects other clubs and what they're able to do. Um, but it, it does feel a little bit different to, to the summer just in terms of circumstances, in terms of what clubs are, are trying, what who's moving. No one's really moving at all. Um, and then also the noises that are coming out, which really don't suggest that, you know, there's any there's anything close. I know there's been a lot of rumours and, it's quite clear that Fulham are looking at a lot of players and they have a set number of targets that they're looking into. Um, but in terms of a deal actually reaching a point where I can, we can come on here and say, look, this, this is, there's a possibility here. I, I haven't had anything like that. So um, I wouldn't rule it out, but I mean, even, even the noises from what, what Park has been saying is it's, it's slightly evolved a little bit in that, you know, the, yes, there's the circumstances of, of the pandemic and, and what that means for, for the market. Um, there's also the fact that where Fulham are in the, in the league, which makes them less appealing to to bring in a the type of player that would be, as you said, an upgrade. I think that's important. You can't Fulham won't want to bring someone in that could have you know could be expensive, but not actually upgrade the team. Um, and then the the other side of it is the financial perspective on it. Um, you know, are Fulham going to spend ten to fifteen million pounds on a player this window? Probably not. Not not a chance, really. I think that in terms of the the gamble that that sort of entails, I don't think Fulham are, are willing to do that. Um, now, I, I don't know that for sure, but you you look at twenty eighteen nineteen, and maybe you think there's a sense of you know we, they got a little bit burnt from that, and they don't want to, to to make the same mistakes again. And when you when you put Fulham in the position they're in, and we talk about the the way they came into the division and what, what what that means in terms of the possibility of them staying up, you know, it doesn't favour making that sort sort of sort of gamble. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're still sort of paying off the the, the spending a few a couple of years ago, and you know, we still got Jean Michel Serre on the books. I know he's in he's been in talks with Galatasaray, and there's talks of other clubs as well. Um, but whether he moves, and I can't see that being a permanent because, as I said, it's you know, it's, money's not not really there. Um, that's that's probably the big overlying factor, really. Uh, unless Fulham, I mean, you look at the summer business they did. Fulham spent um, really quite well in terms of not spending much at all. Um, and to do that with a forward, a Premier League forward, who's going to lift the team, um, is 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 so so difficult. I mean, I think West Brom are bringing in and by Diane from from Galatasaray on loan, but you know whether that will actually lift them. Um, we don't know. Maybe it could be an inspired signing. And and there's definitely an argument to say that there, there could be a risk here. You know, maybe that Fulham should take that risk and, and give themselves that, that chance. You know, Parker said he feels that that's, that can make a big difference and can really lift the team. Um, but for them to do that, it's got to be a player who's going to lift it. He's going to, he's going to be better than what Fulham already have. Uh, and I know, <laughs> I know the immediate comeback is that that's not, not going to be too difficult at the moment. Um, but, you know, you, you don't want to bring in a player that's not going to lift the team. So that that's all that's sort of at play. But as you said, you know, a couple of days to go, things change very quickly. Um, so so we'll see. Yeah, it's a funny one. Everything that I'd kind of heard rumblings at this point were that there wasn't going to be any significant incomings until there were significant outgoings. And the only upside from Steph 
popping down the road to QPR. The only real significant outgoing seems to be John McElserry, who is close to Galatasaray, uh, not to Galatasaray, to, to signing with Bordeaux, it appears. Um, the only thing that might be of interest during that is that Josh Madger has had rumblings of wanting to come back to England. But I don't think that that's necessarily even the the answer. He did okay last year, to be honest. He, he, he was kind of kicking along quite nicely for Bordeaux last season. And he... he you know, he seemed to be thriving on that move a little bit more than, than I perhaps expected. I think he got six goals last year in 20 appearances, which isn't too bad a too bad a strike rate. But he's only got two in 17 this year, which makes me think that maybe that Josh Madger isn't really the answer to any of Fulham's problems either. So, look, I'm... Well, apparently West Ham and uh, West Brom are in touch for him. That's according to Get French Football News, who are generally pretty reliable when it comes to transfers. So there clearly is some potential of him moving back to England but as you say he doesn't exactly um set your heart racing does he look Scott obviously would probably like a forward that that fits his mold of of what uh, you know a forward on the break has to be right because obviously he likes that kind of Cavalero mold forward that doesn't change the issue that you have a you know a goal scorer in Alexander Mitrovic on the on the bench and if you don't have enough goals in your side you have to you know, try and adapt so that that goal scorer can be made part of your system. Um, and, and then it comes back to that for me. Yes. Would I like Fulham to, to bring in a, you know, an extra striker, an extra body uh, to, to, to kind of make things up towards the end of the season? Yeah, sure. I would. Um, but you know, I was always told that there isn't really going to be any cash floating around for Fulham in this window. Obviously that can change. And if there's value in the market on deadline day, then perhaps we will see that change. But I, you know, I was under the impression that there wasn't going to be massive moves done this window and, and nothing has changed my mind on that. Uh, and I think that when you when you look at it and you look at what, what we've got and, and where we are in terms of the pandemic and there not being much money floating about, no one's buying in this window, right? There isn't there isn't much going on. You said it at the start, Sammy. There have been what, four deals in the Premier League that will increase over the next couple of days, that will increase over as we go to towards deadline day. But I don't think it will increase by much. This was always going to be a quiet window. Januarys tend to be quieter than than usual than than the summer anyway because it's obviously a much riskier market and people can ask for big markups on players who are playing well and yeah I, I'm not hopeful that that Fulham bring in someone here would I like it yes go understand why there isn't you know money floating around and I'm under the impression that Fulham don't have loads of money to spend right now I mean I guess that that's kind of reasonable as well. Uh, quick question here from uh, DK says, um, all right, guys, wondered if you thought a Galo on a free could be a good target for us. Wages could possibly be a concern, but a proven Premier League goal scorer nonetheless. Cheers, guys. Love the podcast. Well, thanks for that, DK. Um, Jack, your thoughts on Igalo? Because, well, look, I mean, he's not a terrible player. I mean, is he what we need, though? Uh, I'm not sure that Agalo would bring much that Alexander Mitrovic doesn't already, to be honest. He's not the mobile striker that Scott seems to be crying out for if he's going to get anyone. Um, look, Agalo's a, a fine player and he would he would almost certainly do okay. But I think that would be the end of Alexander Mitrovic because I think that they are similar in some statures as to what they bring in terms of being target men but also kind of less mobile forwards who are who are probably better slightly aerially i i don't think that it, i don't think it would be a bad signing but i don't think it's what we need no and uh obviously two other rumors that have been doing the rounds this this january are are the rumors with bulai dear and uh and barlo nazola uh, and barlo nazola if you if you don't know uh plays for, for, for is it spezia or spezia Spe- 
Spezia. Sorry, I'm such a um, heathen when it comes to Italian. Uh, but look, nine goals in 13 games. Apparently, we made a 12 million euro offer for him, according to Gazzetta dello Sport. Again, a fairly reputable source over in Italy. So there is some hope that Fulham might make a signing like this. I know, Jack, that would be your ultimate dream if, if we could make something like this happen. Yeah, I mean, not necessarily in Zola. I, I like his numbers and he's been good this season. But at the same time, you know, he's he's a little bit of a flash in the pan player. He's come from kind of nowhere. He's been a bit of a journeyman in Italy up to this point. And he's hit the ground running this season. He's done really well. Spezia are overperforming as a promoted side. And he's he's played well. But, you know, do I think he's the ultimate answer to all Fulham's problems? Probably not. Um, I just like it more than some of the other rumours we've been linked with. And I mean, you could argue maybe similar for Bully Dia, who who's had a really good season. I think he would probably be a better signing. He has quite a nice timing of his runs. But again, you know, a little bit flash in the pan in that his season has come from kind of nowhere to to being, you know, up there at the top of the, the scoring charts in France. So, look, I think they'd both be players. I like them in, in, the, in the kind of fact that they are players in the mould that Scott seems to want. Um, but I don't, I, I, I'm not, ultimately convinced that any of them would be the you know the full-time answer i think they are they are better options however in terms of stylistic nature than than a odin agarlo yeah they certainly fit the the mold of what what parker and Fulham would would probably be looking at at the moment um but yeah again as, as you know they've they, I think I think Zola's got a decent um strike record over time which which bodes well but you know it's 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 difficult when you're looking at size, the size they play for, um, and then trying to compare that and say how how much of an impact they could have in the Premier League. But it, you know, sometimes that can happen. It can, you know, a player can come in and and can really change a team, um, and that's fundamentally what what Fulham need in in, in terms of whether you know Fulham, are, you know, there may be interest there. It's not something that's been said to me in terms of what I've heard. It's just they've all been mainly played down as as as, as agent speculation. So. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see if that, that sort of changes in the next coming days. But in terms of the names that have been linked at the moment, you wouldn't say that they're going to, you know, targets that really get the, the heart racing. If, if anything, you know, Sammy, if it all goes wrong, we could just sign Syriac on loan again. Oh, don't, don't tease me, Jack. <laughs> He's not got a club. We could just sign him. He's literally without club. Let's get him in. Can we just get him back for the crack? Whether he scores goals or not, like, isn't of interest here. I mean, I still just remember that goal he scored against Blackburn. I think it was a two-all draw and it was just an absolute thunderbolt. Um, I loved Syriac. Okay, well, we'll see what happens. Um, if you want any transfer deadline reaction, uh, I know that uh, Jack Kelly is going to be doing a, a live video on the Fulhamish YouTube uh, on Monday night, uh, looking to see if Fulham make any signings. It was a very exciting one last time when they did it on the in the summer transfer deadline day. I do worry though that Jack and Joe are just going to be sat there at 11 o'clock on Monday just with nothing to talk about and just being depressed but we'll see what happens if you want to see two grown men getting very angry because no news is coming in then um, the Fulhamish YouTube channel might be a place to go to right uh, we'll take another quick break and then we'll look ahead to Saturday's game against West Brom Part three of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy James with Jack Collins and Peter Rutzler. Let's look ahead to Saturday's game uh, against West Brom at the Hawthorns. Three o'clock on Saturday, you love to see it. Live on the BBC, you also love to see it. Uh, all the old dears getting upset that Homes Under the Hammer has been um, cancelled so that 
people can watch 18th versus 19th in the Premier League. Uh, and Peter, we mentioned it earlier, it goes without saying that it's a huge, huge game for Fulham. West Brom have been conceding goal after goal under Sam Allardyce, so it's beautifully set up for a 1-0 West Brom win on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, it'll be a different prospect to, to, the, to the last game. Um, you know, you'd imagine that West Brom would have a bit more, more solidity about them. Not that that's been necessarily evident from the amount of goals they, they've conceded since Big Sam's come in. Um, but it should change the, the dynamic of how, how they approach the game. You know, for them, it's a massive game too. And that, that should add to it. And, you know, we haven't really been convinced yet that, that Fulham are able to, to, to get themselves going for these games. The West Brom game was the exception. Um, so, that, so that does bode well in that sense. But, um, you know, I... I it is an important game. I don't think there's any getting away from that. I mean, if West Brom win, they, they leapfrog Fulham and, you know, the mood does does change a little bit and, and you know, we're, we're into double figures now without a win if, if it doesn't come to pass. So, um, fundamentally, it's it's a game that Fulham really do need to 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 make their mark in. And, and whether we see Mitrovic come back in, maybe this is the kind of game that might suit him if Fulham are likely to see long spells on the ball. Um, you, know, that, you know, there's definitely a case for that and I think there's one that could be made and, um, we'll have to see. I think, you know, when assessing these games and, and, and the run of fixtures to come, it's just getting that win would, would really change change the feeling a little bit. Um, and it all becomes very much a psychological battle once once we, we start moving into this stage of the season and keeping the right perspective, which Fulham have done, it seems, you know, in the sense of, of dropping tools, there's still that cohesiveness. Um, and, you know, avoiding defeats in these games is, is is critical. But as we said at the start, you know, four points from these two games is absolutely essential, I think, for Fulham um, to try and just keep, keep you know, hanging on to the coattails of, of those above them. Jack, we said that there weren't many West Brom players that uh, we would take at Fulham. However, interesting transfer news breaking um, that it looks like West Brom are signing Mbe Diagna uh, on loan from Galatasaray. Nine goals and 15 appearances in Turkey this year could be a little bit of a game changer for them because they've really been struggling up front as well as defensively. Yeah, well, obviously we've um, we've seen Galatasaray imports to the Premier League in the shape of Ryan Babel do a ex do a job, um, you know, for Fulham before. So I would imagine that you know, look, it's um, is is a funny one. He's had a a nomadic career, um, but you know, seems to you know found some some real form for Gala. So you know, we we know what he's about, and we will be able to. You know, Lamina will be able to give us the lowdown on exactly why um, we've managed to, uh, or what we've got facing us. But yeah, it's going to be a you know an interesting one to see if he does. I thought it's funny, Sammy, you, you mentioned there that West Brom can't stop conceding goals uh, and Fulham can't score them. This is literally a case of what happens when the resistible force <laughs> hits the movable object. <laughs> Well, fingers crossed it uh, ends up in a, in a 5-0 Fulham win, but um, we, we will wait and see. I mean, it's an interesting one playing West Brom on Saturday. Their form has been funny, to say the least. I mean, they got that amazing win at Wolves, but also have been battered several times at home. They lost 5-0 to Leeds, 4-0 to Arsenal, 5-0 to Man City, but a narrow defeat at West Ham and... Uh, it, I, I just can't quite work them out under Big Sam. Obviously got that point away at Anfield as well and also got a point away at the Etihad. I, I, yeah, I'm just struggling to pin what West Brom we're going to face. 
Yeah, it means all of their goals come from either Mateus Pereira penalties or semi-ajay deflected shots, and and, and that is you know, <laughs> it's quite a difficult thing to quite a difficult thing to market about. Look, they they're in they're in a strange situation where I think they you know given their summer lack of spending and the fact that they didn't have any money on the table were a little bit like us in, in, at the start of the season. The fact that they thought if we survive it will be a miracle, right? And and yet, here they are, a couple of, like you say, goal difference is a bit of a mess. They've taken some heavy hits, but they've also nicked the odd, you know, the odd win. That win against Wolves was one of the most bizarre games of football I've ever seen. Those points against City and Liverpool. And actually, perhaps in a, in a strange way and in a somewhat, you know, mirror-ish element, they play slightly better against those teams because, especially away from home, because they can set up to, to defend deep and sit on the counter and and actually it's worked for them in, in those games weirdly the you know the games against Leeds and Villa at home I suppose you know obviously there's not a crowd so it's not that they are expected to go out and try and be a little bit more open but I do think that there is that element of we're on our own patch we need to defend it a little bit harder we need to come at teams a little bit more and and that's why they've been opened up by sides obviously it was a red card in the Villa game which which probably didn't help them but it is, you know, that kind of sense that they are there to be got at, especially at the Hawthorns. And and it, I can't stress it enough. Fulham just need to win this game. It's, it is kind of not do or die, like you say, because there is 19, 18 games of the season left after this. But if we don't win this one, I think that that gap looks quite scary ahead of the teams in front of us, especially with the games that, you know, all of us have in the next couple of weeks. Well, look, there's one thing going for us, Jack, is that I'm not hosting the podcast on Sunday because it's my birthday. So it should be, by that standard, a win incoming. Yeah, no, I do, I do hope for the best that just my kind of lucky lucky rub will, will make it make it work on, on Saturday as well. We'll, uh, we'll be able to bounce off another victory on Sunday's pod. So fingers crossed. Fingers crossed indeed. Well, the game is uh, on BBC One on uh, Saturday, interestingly, at three o'clock. So it'll be very, very easy for all of us in the UK uh, to watch it. No subscription needed. And fingers crossed we can do a job uh, live on the telly uh, on Saturday. Well, that is all for today. Please, Fulham, just win. Please just win on Saturday. I genuinely, my, my, it's my birthday on Sunday. I'm going to be miserable if Fulham don't win on Saturday. So please, just for my sake, at the very, very least. Um, Jack, thank you very much as ever. What are we going to name the pod? Um, I mean, please just win is quite, a good, uh, it's quite a good name, but I think it might be time. I'm going to go with Swinsorian Scott Bus Parker. Very, very nice. Okay, well, we'll see what happens on Saturday. Jack, thank you for being on the pod. Thank you, Sammy, for having me as ever. Uh, Peter, will you be going to the game on Saturday? Yeah, all being well, I will be. Yeah, it'll be turn a week for me, which is unusual. But uh, yeah, Fan- looking forward to it. Let's hope in- for all win. Enjoy, Peter. The Hawthorns is the highest ground above sea level in the United Kingdom. So there's something for you to enjoy. Uh, okay, I'll bring my earplugs. <laughs> He's getting the mileage up on his car as well. Peter, enjoy Saturday. Fingers crossed we can get a win. Come on, you whites. You whites. You whites.